Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I was thinking about the word slacks today. Oh. You know, slacks like pants. And I was thinking, it's because my father-in-law texted my husband and I about slacks. And uh, I realized that young people don't say that word and I wish we did. So my question for you today is, what are some kind of old-timey words or words that people in Gen X and younger don't use that you wish would make a comeback? Um, okay, so this is like super old-timey, but I love it. <laughs> Do you ever know the word fiddle-faddle? Oh, that's a good one. Not only does it mean nonsense, it's also a delicious snack, like caramel-covered popcorn and nuts. The oh original gosh. Crunch and Munch. It was the original Crunch and Munch. And it was called fiddle-faddle? Fiddle-faddle. It's like, that's fiddle-faddle. Oh, I like that. I like fiddlesticks as like a, a kind of like adjacent swear word that's not really yes. a swear word. Fiddlesticks is a good one. Fiddlesticks is a good one. Um, I also love frightened. Nobody says I'm frightened anymore. They all say I'm scared. Let me tell you, I was frightened last night when lightning almost hit my house. <laughs> it it Did it hit anything like important nearby? Well... We don't know yet. <laughs> okay. Lightning can be well, sneaky, I guess. It can be sneaky. And you know what I found out? That lightning rods um, don't really prevent you from being hit by lightning. It, like, prevents fire. So there's something new. Fiddle battle. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, fiddlesticks. <laughs> this week, we're joined by Francesca Fiorentini and Michaela Watkins to tackle the following questions. Are women and families going to be on the chopping block of the infrastructure compromise? How culpable are we in creating the culture that led to Britney Spears' conservatorship? And what common medical procedure is long overdue for an update? All this and more right now. All right, let's talk about uh, the news. Okay, well, remember how we were talking about how June was going to be an annoying month? 
feels like that's the promise that keeps on being kept. Yeah, June has kept its promise as being a very annoying month politically, and I believe that that promise will extend into July. I kind of want to talk about the infrastructure package and its changing forms, Alyssa. Um, When President Biden announced his infrastructure proposal, I was pleasantly surprised because of some of the because of some of the things that were included in it, um, which are infrastructure, but haven't been thought of as infrastructure traditionally, like bolstering the care economy. The care economy enables people to go to work and it also employs millions of Americans and often keeps those Americans in a state of poverty or near poverty due to to the low wages that it pays. So supporting the care economy, I believe is super important to stimulating the economy and getting us to a position where we have a functional middle class again. Um, Something kind of discouraging happened. We're trying to make deals with Republicans. And I know people love to harp on bipartisanship, but part of the deal is that the first part of Biden's infrastructure plan that will be um, put forth to lawmakers is just, quote unquote, and I'm using this word, which a Biden advisor said on cable news this week, traditional infrastructure. So like roads and bridges and broadband. We all know the, tr- the great American tradition <laughs> of broadband. Alyssa, what do you make of the infrastructure package being divided and I- into kind of more traditional roads and bridges infrastructure and the other infrastructure that was always important but never given enough time? I mean, girl, I don't know. The whole thing is really um, disappointing, I guess. Frustrating is another word. Because here's the thing. By separating them out, it really does give people like mansion and cinema cover. Like, here, look, we're doing this. I mean, and like, Aaron, just to, like, like we love to do, sidebar, tangent, whatever. I mean... How hard is it to get some fucking bipartisan bullshit bill? Like, why did it take any time at all? They were negotiating this bill as actual bridges were crumbling. Mm -hmm. So it seems... so that's one thing. and But now that you have bifurcated, you've hived off the care economy stuff into something that uh, progressive Democrats and that President Biden will say, you know, they will try to do through reconciliation, which, Aaron, I use the word reconciliation all the time, but I thought that it would be worth explaining exactly what the reconciliation process is how it's used. And what budget reconciliation is, it's a parliamentary procedure of Congress to expedite the passage of certain budgetary legislation. It can be done uh, without a supermajority. It just needs a simple majority, 51 or 50 plus the vice president to break the tie. And what is significant about reconciliation is that it's it prohibits sort of policy changes that are extraneous to the budget. And this year, the Senate parliamentarians said there could be two reconciliation bills, one that deals with fiscal year 2021 and one that deals with fiscal year 2022. So, great. So now we have this bill that is going to focus on all the things that you and I are really interested in. However, you still need mansion and cinema. And Mm -hmm. so they have both said that they're open to reconciliation, but 
Joe Manchin has said, oh, five or six trillion. I don't know that I can do that. Maybe one or one and a half, maybe two. So the problem is it still puts at this point, very moderate centrist people who were not on board with this in the first place, a bit in the driver's seat to get this done. Mm -hmm. The thing that really bothers me about this is that all of the proposals in the American Families Plan that would be put through via reconciliation, if at all, are massively popular. So right. if they were to pass, all of these chuckle fucks that <laughs> are actively acting like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, would be active, would be trying to take credit for it, just like Republicans with the COVID bill. And it makes me so angry because it's like every, I don't care where you live, I don't care how you vote. The uh, child tax credit is going to be useful for a right. ton of people who live there. And if Democrats don't um, don't make it a more permanent thing, that will expire in the middle of campaign season for midterms. Right. So, and, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and as we've said before, too, these programs that are part of the care economy package are not making America the best country in the world. They're literally lifting us up from being the last place in the world that cares about its citizenry. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. It's it's embarrassing how little protections are in place for people who are responsible for care for other family members, whether that's parents, whether that's people taking care of a person that is disabled, whether that's people taking care of elderly parents. Like all, we... <laughs> We neglect these people to an embarrassing degree. And that category, people who are caretakers, is massive in this country. The fact that we have just decided that they can keep on taking on more and more and more, like people are going to reach a breaking point. And most of those people are women. And uh, I don't think it, it really is frustrating to watch all these like really wealthy people in Washington who will never suffer a consequence for not having maternity leave. Like, what is Joe Manchin going to do if he can't take maternity leave? I don't know. Continue to right. live his life and not think about <laughs> it. Like, you know, oh, what's what's Senator Cinema going to do without universal pre-K? Oh, continue to not think about it and dress like a doll, um, as you say, Alyssa. Uh, I think. I, I just think that it's like all of the people who are responsible for fixing these problems are completely insulated from the problems themselves. And that is, is such that's a, such a huge reason, reason nothing ever gets done. It's all uh, I just feel like this is some real fucking low hanging fruit that we're refusing to pick up. And by we, I don't mean me and you. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, to continue that that metaphor if the you know, eventually the fruit's just going to get rotten and drop to the ground and stink up the joint. And nobody wants to clean up a yard full of rotten mangoes. No, no, because you know what that brings? Critters that you don't want in your yard. And critters smell. It's way better to just pick the low-hanging fruit, maintain things, rather than wait for things to become a disaster. And on that note, I want to talk about the second story that we've both been thinking about a lot this, this week, and that is the collapse of a condo building in Surfside, Florida, Alyssa, why has this story impacted you so much? You know, Erin, I think that we are used to seeing pretty terrible stories. You know, every week there are mass shootings on the front pages of newspapers. There are, um, there's just really bad stuff. But to me, this one is, 
I mean, first to imagine the horror that, uh, I mean, we've heard from, from firsthand accounts of people who escaped the building, the horror of trying to get out. Um, the the people who were helping neighbors, people who knew to leave their front doors open so that people would know they had gotten out so that people could see um, that like their balconies had fallen off. And I think that this is just so tragic because it's one, this feels like we, we will come to understand at some point this was in probably many ways preventable. Um, the reports that have come out from engineer inspections that were done three years ago in 2018, indicating the uh, sort of exponential damage being done by not making the repairs that were needed. And that this was all caught up in these weird processes, like these condo boards knew. And there was just, it feels like what you and I were texting about earlier, that it feels sort of like emblematic of a lot of what's going on in America in some ways, that we all see the change that needs to happen, but no one can figure out how to get there. And now we just have, you know, 159 people, I think, are still, as of recording, unaccounted for. And the catastrophe of this building that collapsed onto itself. So as we listen to people who want to understand, like, why they're not finding more people faster, why, you know, families want answers, which, I mean, we all would is that this is this is you know people who who were down in Haiti during the earthquake in 2010 people who have seen some of the worst catastrophes like this are saying this is the worst they've ever seen and um unfortunately i think that sort of the more we understand the more um the more graphic the information we get is, the more you're like, fuck, like these, these poor people and these families just don't, they don't have answers. And I think that's the hardest part. It just makes me cry for them. Everything from the people who don't have the answers to the son who found his grandmother's birthday card on the sidewalk, um, you know, when he was, when he was looking for her. And I mean, it's just to people who can't find their pets. I mean, it's all just, it's just, it's fucking terrible. And it's, and there, there are no answers soon, and that just feels like an, an entirely, an entirely different form of torture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I can't even imagine how it would feel to be somebody waiting for one of the unaccounted for people. Um, I can't imagine what it would be like to be one of the people going through the rubble. Which, like, if you look at images of it and videos of it, it just looks like a pile of like concrete dust dust it is really really daunting and um they've had to deal with fire and wind and and weather and it just it would be horrible to be a person directly involved in this one thing that i think of as we are moving forward with the story is when there's stories like this that are tragedies singular tragedies that resulted from something systemically wrong every time we try to figure out what is wrong in the system I feel like there's a kind of knee jerk, don't politicize it, don't politicize it type thing. But here's the thing, don't politicize it has become a blanket dismissal of trying to find and identify a root reason that is bigger than just the singular thing that happened. Politicizing it is important because you have to politicize it. Otherwise, this is going to happen again. We can't just treat this like it is one thing that happened 
as a freak accident in one place. Clearly it happened as a result of a set of conditions that affect a bunch of other places, a bunch of other buildings, a bunch of other people. And the only way to get to the bottom of it is to honestly address why why does the condo board um, have so much power? Why does the state of Florida have so little power to enforce repairs on buildings like this? You know, is that is that is that what small government is? Is that just not enforcing anything and and enabling tragedies like this to happen? Um, why are people so hesitant to spend money on preventive? repairs. And, you know, all of this sort of, you know, as we were talking about the infrastructure bill, it feels like there's a through line between the collapse of a building and like the literal collapse of pieces of infrastructure in this country. Like spending money to prevent something isn't necessarily fun or sexy, um, but it's necessary because it's way better to spend money to prevent something than it is to spend money to clean something up. So true. And and to your point, you know, when you looked at some of the paperwork that has been surfaced, the people in this building from the smallest apartment to the largest apartment oh, would have had to contribute anywhere from $30,000 to $335,000 to move ahead with some of this stuff. And so you're like, how does that even make sense? Like, how yeah. is that fucking possible? Right. Yeah. Like imagine you live in a building and they're like, here's a here's a bill for thirty thousand dollars. Like you probably weren't planning on an unexpected thirty thousand dollar expense during, you know, the course of your life. And and I don't think that should be something that necessarily falls completely in the it it seems like there needs to be some things worked out. You know, I'm yeah, I'm exactly I've, I've never I've never owned a condo before, but I have to say it seems like there needs to be a way to force repairs on buildings that are structurally unsound, but there also needs to be a way for people who live in those buildings who aren't necessarily the the people at fault for the structural like problems. There needs to be some relief for them or like some kind of like forgivable loan or some, some something, you know, this is just, this it's, didn't work. And it just, it goes to, you know, I think you are a sage and a highly empathetic person. And yesterday, last night you said the burden always falls on the people who did nothing to create the problem. Yeah. I mean, it's always the people who suffer the most directly are mm -hmm. the people who didn't create the conditions. Right. And that's just like the way that our society works and it fucking sucks. And, and I mean, we, we were talking about, you know, people who are senators being totally insulated from the consequences of their actions. Like that's, that's literally it. We see it right. everywhere. This is just a really dramatic, tragic example of people who suffer consequences for problems they didn't cause. And it's just, it's just kind of heartbreaking. I, I don't know. I can't even, it's one of those stories that I can't even think about because it makes me too <laughs> sad, yeah. you know? No, and, totally. And, you know, and then so there's also the climate change of it all, which is, you know, how much of this is uh, something that was exacerbated by changing climate conditions, by right. more extreme storms. How inhabitable will the entire area of South Florida be in 10 years? Right. Um, like I, I remember a few years ago interviewing somebody who was a sustainability scientist, which is uh, what 
a specific, like people who study climate change and its effect on human civilization started calling themselves, I think it was like resilience, climate resilience instead of climate mm -hmm. change. Um, they had to, to rebrand because Republicans don't believe in climate change. So calling it resilience allowed them to continue to get like some respect. Um, I, I was talking to somebody who said that that Miami doesn't Miami's plan for post 2030 is like find alternate uses for first floors of buildings. Like there is no, yeah, Shit. There, there is like no, there's no plan. And then that's, that's not a plan. That's, that's not a, that is getting, getting flippers is not a plan. You know, buying a raft is not a plan. Um, and it's just, it's really crazy. Like right now in the Pacific Northwest where I live in LA, it's, fairly normal, but everything around us is in the 110, 115 degree range. Up in Seattle, up in Portland, it is uninhabitable. People need to, people will die if they spend too much time outside. Like that's how hot it is. And it is such a catastrophic swing in temperature that most people, it's like, look, you don't have to be a genius. It's like, oh my God, it's like 115 in Portland. People are buying air conditioners. You're like, well, the power grid's going to fucking collapse soon. And then all of a sudden, brownouts and blackouts because people, you know, because because they're putting such strain on the grid. It's like, you guys, we you can predict what's going to happen. Why is no one, not no one. But why are certain people like, it's fine. It's not fine. Right. I wonder what it is in human psychology that causes us to prefer being reactive to proactive over and over and over again, when we know intuitively that being proactive has better outcomes. Because Aaron, like you said, the people who are making the laws, who are who are fighting these decisions are people who have plenty of air conditioning and should the grid go out, they have a big enough generator to keep their air conditioning going. So unless you recognize that as a luxury and something that not everybody has and that everybody should be able to, you know, have a fucking chance, um, you just kind of keep doing what works for you. So I'd say fuck those people. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, I just had an idea. If I were working in maintenance in, uh, this is just a joke idea. Uh, if I were working in maintenance in, in the Capitol, I would, I would subtly turn off the air conditioner in the offices of the people in DC who do not believe in climate change. Just because it, climate change isn't real. This is fine. You don't need AC. You can... You're fine. That is not a bad joke idea, Erin. <laughs> Experience the consequences of climate change, guys. We already built our nation's capital in a hot swamp. Like, it, it's just going to get worse. So, you know, if climate change isn't real, then maybe you're fine without AC. Tell me how that, tell me how that works for you. Let us know how your shirts fare. <laughs> oh, I, I do not want to see photos of that. That's for sure. Um, okay. We have to take a quick break. We have no guests this week because we are going to get into a conversation about Britney Spears, Y2K, and all the ways that we were sort of maybe in retrospect complicit in a real shitty culture for women. Sounds like fun. Yay. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes, 
And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, mean, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. Alyssa, we're going to uh, dive into some pop culture this week in a way that we don't normally dive. Hit me, baby. <laughs> oh, that was really good. Did you plan that? I didn't at all. I didn't at all. That was on, that was on my feet. That was really quick. Um, so we're going to talk about Britney Spears this week and the general culture around Britney Spears um, because when Britney Spears testified in a hearing in LA last week about her conservatorship, a lot of people started reflecting about, you know, the Y2K era of pop culture and how fucked up it was. And I thought that might be a good thing for us to talk about collectively on the show because we were all alive back then 20 years ago, which is crazy. Um, And we all remember and we all in one way or another interacted with that culture. So I'm going to bring in two women to talk about that with us. First, she is an actor and comedian and her mom is in town, Michaela Watkins. Hi. How is how's your mom visiting going? Um, It's good. You know, she's um, she's uh, bravely reading Facebook to me all week. Um, I've taken like a, a a photo series of her, of our visit. You know, we haven't seen each other in a while. We did get to see each other once uh, since the pandemic, but uh, this is our second, you know, full deep dive visit. And uh, I just have this photo series of her on her phone. (laughs) 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 She loves her phone. And, uh, you know, it was her best friend during the pandy. So, uh, so I didn't want to break that up, but yeah, she's been reading Facebook to me and letting me know what all my friends from high school are doing. And so we've had a lot of fun. Um, 
Up next today, really excited that she's joining us. She's a special guest, but you've heard from her before. She's the host of the Bituation Room podcast, Francesca Fiorentini. What's up? How you doing, Francesca? What kind of Facebook, what kind of Facebooking do you do? Oh, nothing. Um, really? Like none. Ever since uh, the big, the big one. What was the big one? There's been many of them, but it's my brain is not working so well. Uh, but the big leaks. Oh yeah. Okay. The bad ones. Okay. You guys so, know what I'm the thing. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. What where, was that thing well, called? Remember the thing that was terrible that made me leave Facebook, but now I can't remember what the hell it was called. Um, it's like 2016 to 20 uh, Cambridge Analytica. Edit this part out. Edit this part out. Edit uh, my brain. Was it no, Cambridge Analytica? For yes, me, yeah, thank I went you. off I was Zuckerberg. Like, it was like Oxford Graywater, but it, yeah, no, it's Cambridge, <laughs> Cambridge Analytica. Thank you. Uh, yep. And that's uh, what after that, because I was like, I owe my career to a lot of Facebook, you know, as an early, early adapter or adopter of um, Facebook video through AJ Plus. And after Cambridge Analytica, I was like, oh, we live in an Orwellian hellscape and we need <laughs> to leave this platform. We're having our views sold back to us. Goodbye. And uh, <laughs> so sadly I've left. And it's bad because it's a, you know, there's an audience worth fighting for. You know, like Michaela's mom is not a bad, there's, there's not, not all boomers. You know what I'm saying? Hashtag not all boomers. Mm -hmm. and yeah. some just want to post like cute videos and like you know philharmonic orchestra performances they found on youtube <laughs> and like that's fine yeah i mean i i'm on it and i use it mostly to keep in touch with people from my hometown because everybody from my hometown's on it i will say i i did miss that you know i went off it same thing cambridge analytica and i and i miss i do miss seeing people's kids. I wish they would get on Instagram like a normal person, which is also owned by Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's okay somehow. I mean, Aaron, you're going to probably learn this pretty quick, but if you heard of the app Notably, which is like where you post photos of kids and it's like private and um, boo, it's actually, private. <laughs> it's right, you know. <clears throat> ew, boo. I want, I want likes on my baby. <laughs> Um, but it's yeah. great. The best part about Notably is that it'll send you updates and it'll be like, new update from a kid you love. And it's like, I don't know. Like, it's like mm, keeping tabs on a kid that you're, that you love. And you're like, I don't feel right about clicking on that. You know, like <laughs> I want to keep tabs on this kid. <laughs> like, it's a very weird thing to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be a better way to put that. Yeah. There's got to be a better way to <laughs> put that. Tabs on a from kid a you kid love. you love. <sighs> yeah, I have no pictures of my pregnant body online because I'm really afraid of like how people will like y use that. I don't know. I just like don't want people looking at it, you know? Yeah. Look, I think Cardi B probably doesn't have any more use for the bodysuit that she wore. <laughs> Um, during whatever award ceremony that was, I'm I mean, really it, striking out this. She, lo she looked awesome. She looked awesome. I think, um, but I just, for whatever reason, I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I think part of the reason that I'm a little bit like, I don't want to put, even for like friends and family, I don't want to share a photo of like uh, my bump. Um, mm -hmm. because I'm aware of how many forums on Reddit exist to perv out on pregnant women. Yeah. Oh Yeah. There's yeah. so many like Reddit forums about like 
naked pregnant ladies and pregnant ladies that they've been that have been photographed in public and it's like I just don't <laughs> I'm just gonna skip that I'm gonna skip that corner of the online um speaking of know, culture it's a, big, it's a big part of our audience here on hysteria so sure <laughs> it's true it's true we've only gotten like one email that was like truly gross in the entire time that we've done this show which Impressive. I feel is a real wow. big, a real accomplishment yeah I think you need <laughs> to post that pregnant photo just to, <laughs> I just know. to call yourself a feminist still you need to <laughs> bear down more hate it's an untapped market for sure um so I wanted to talk this week about Britney Spears, her testimony, and what it says about all of us, and if we've learned any lessons whatsoever. Francesca, since you're the guest, I am going to start with you. What were your initial reactions to Britney's testimony last week? Um, I have to say I was relieved, um, horrified, but relieved that there were of maybe a couple months there between when the documentary Framing Britney Spears came out, you know, by the New York Times and Britney speaking publicly where we weren't sure where, whether she was going to like corroborate or like agree with what what that documentary had revealed, which was, was that, yeah, her conservatorship was incredibly shady, that essentially a lot of the – there was – sort of subtle cries for help on her, you know, social media, um, and that she wasn't happy. And so to be honest with you, as jarring as it was to hear her, you know, this like beautiful, adorable pop star who's so talented kind of like go in with this like sort of my morning voice, you know, and then talk about how, how, you know, how upset she was. My feeling was, thank God, like, thank God she can feel free enough to at least be honest and say what's going on and stop and drop the veneer of being a perfect pop star. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Michaela, how about you? What was your first reaction to the testimony? Did you listen to all of it or did you read it? Yeah. No, I didn't listen. I read it. I read the transcript. And um, I guess I just felt like, thank God this documentary has changed that she was able to take the temperature of the public and the tenor so that if she did get up and speak her truth about her misery and her um, and her hostage situation, quite honestly, is what it sounds like to me, um, and the gaslighting and the horrible things that she's undergoing right under our very eyes um, as she performs and performs and performs on stage as a salient person who can dance, sing, move, you know, act, have banter, do her hair, do her makeup, choreograph, write music, <laughs> be an artist, you know, all the things that you would never hear about a man ever having to go through in terms of a conservatorship. That, that, she, that things have swung in her favor finally, that she's safe enough to do it. You know, that was my feeling was like, good God, maybe we have moved the needle on the dial and that we have... Um, changed our consciousness around women and what they go through uh, because I think she had to wait 20 years for that to happen and um, or for it to really matter. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people that that would mean a ton a long time ago, but I just feel like this documentary has created this space for her and uh, to safely know she can step into it and um, be vulnerable publicly and say she's miserable. I mean, I I also have to say I I just feel like there's a pillow over my face when I when I read her words. You know, it's that feeling of total suffocation and 
uh, bondage. I just don't understand how someone can have that much control of your life when you're that functional. I, I just don't understand how an adult grown ass woman has to undergo so much. Um, I mean, she, the, the only thing that pops in my mind is like, did she just do something so egregiously traumatizingly horrible that they're like, this can never happen again. I, but even still, I don't think you get to say you can't take out your IUD. I, I don't think you have that much control over a person. Um, you have to give them enough rope to truly fuck up our lives, you know? That, otherwise, why are we here? Yeah. I mean, it seems like the environment under which she was driven to a point where it appeared that she was having a public breakdown is something that we should probably talk about because... Um, the early 2000s, the more I think about it, I was, a, I was a teenager then I graduated from high school in 2001. And um, the more I think about the pop culture environment that surrounded me during my formative years, the more I'm like, that was really fucked up. Um, Alyssa, what do you remember about Y2K culture and uh, Britney Spears and the way that we talked about her back then? Are you asking me because I was the most adult and at, at, at most to blame for my participation <laughs> in all of this? Because I was Explain fully yourself. in my, I was fully in my mid twenties and my roommate, uh, one of my many roommates at the time was a ride or die Britney Spears fan. And so we kept up and she was the one who was always like, what are they doing to her? What are they doing to her? And I was like, um, have you seen Star Magazine? She's clearly fucking nuts. And uh, <laughs> Brittany is the only person I learned. What was it? Hit me, baby, one more time. I performed with my roommate, Amy Volpe, who I am shouting out, at the Jamaica Plains Fire Department of something wow. we went to. But this was like our, she loved, she still loves Britney. We were texting about Britney the other day and we're fascinated by it, but in the same way, and I'm going to, I have written a whole chapter about this in a book. So I've definitely done my mea culpa in the same way that when she and I were paralegals together, we would come home and watch the Clinton impeachment and be like, look at it like a spectacle, right? Monica was a spectacle back then. Britney was a spectacle. They weren't people. They were entertainment. Like their personal lives were framed as our entertainment. And that is uh, 100% what I was definitely guilty of back then. Um you know, it's like, of course, we didn't have text again back then. But as we got older, the emails would start to fly. Did you see Brittany? She shaved her head. Oh, my God. What's wrong with her? Instead of like, oh, my God, is she okay? You know, like that was, it was never that way. It was always this like, um, you know, and, and at the same time, we all had the Bebe tank tops, like the ones that she wore on tour. And I was too old to be wearing them, but I definitely did. And we wanted to be like her, but we also you know, thought she was a, a spectacle. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fran uh, Francesca, what do you remember about that time? Like, do you, do you remember specifically the way that we talked about like pop stars and their virginity and we were obsessed with it? Like, do, do you, do you remember thinking that was weird? I, I, yeah. I mean, not 
it it seemed so I was like Britney Spears and boy bands I thought were just like fun bubblegum and I was a little too old to be like she's my idol but I was um not old enough to be like I work in media now and have decision making power now that I have decision making power of over the entire media um I can say <laughs> with certainty uh that it was bad no but it was um I think in the same way that it was like bubblegum, easy listening, the pop culture treatment, the celebrity, um, the paparazzi, the photos, the whatever, that also felt like, well, this has got to be equally bubblegum. This is also just harmless because this person is a pop star and um, they're they're fine, you know? This person can take it. And that's sort of like, you know, you – Stop thinking of a person as an actual person and you just consider them a brand completely. Um, and as her song says, you know, everyone wants a piece of her. You want a piece of me, et cetera. But it was definitely f watching Framing Britney Spears, hearing her talk about it in this testimony, looking back and sort of having our noses like shoved in the shit that we all low key participated in. I remember when she came back to perform at the MTV Music Video Awards and she like had gained a little weight and and she like seemed kind of out of it. And it was like, oh, my God. Oh, my, I, mean, I laughed at that. I 100 percent laughed at that performance. Why? I don't know. Because it was OK to be a piece of shit to Britney Spears. For no good reason. But I think what's so funny that you're saying about, like, a young woman's sexuality, her virginity, that, like, you really watch this whole documentary and you really look at the whole thing and you're like, oh, so an 18-year-old, 19-year-old woman had nice boobs and was a very talented dancer and singer. And everyone was like, you make me feel funny. You must perish. You know, like, like that... Like even Diane Sawyer, you know, even everyone was just like, oh, how could you be so hot and so young? Mm, now you got to die. And like, I can't chalk it up to anything other than like raging jealousy that this woman and not only was she like owning her own narrative about whether she's, a, you know, has had sex or not or whatever, or like being sexual, being like a young girl, whatever. But that also she wasn't apologizing for it. And we see that time and time again. It's OK to be a strong, independent woman as long as you apologize when you've crossed a certain line that whomever has laid down for you. Right. And she didn't apologize. She wouldn't. She was like, I don't get why y'all are so obsessed with me and my virginity. I'm not really going to apologize. And I thought that's when it was like, ooh, well, now you've gone too far, you know. Michaela, you were on SNL in 2008, 2009, which was like the height of the Britney bashing in the media. What was that like and, and how do you feel about that time now? Well, I mean, I developed a character sort of based on what uh, I was gleaning from the internet because uh, I, I had this sort of bitchy blogger named Angie Tempora who um, just really just took down every movie, every celebrity in the most mean possible way she could. And the reason I did that is a two-part. One, the, sh the show had skewed so pop culture. So when I was coming up, SNL was really about like original characters and sketches and, um, and, and, you know, sort of lampooning the news and things like that. But then it became this sort of pop culture imitation farm where, uh, it, it, it was really just because that's what was happening in the zeitgeist, which was everybody was ripping apart uh, celebrities. And I'm not a pop culture buff. I just, 
I'm not, I never have been, you know, I followed politics, but I didn't really follow pop stars. And I had to crash course, learn who everybody was. And the best way to do that was to go on sites like Perez Hilton and, um, uh, uh, gr- 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 grunch. Gr- wait, what's the, what was that other Drudge. one called? Drudge. Thank you. And, oh my God, I sound like a hundred year old lady. <laughs> grudge. I hold a grudge. Um, and, uh, I would, I would read these blogs because I would get a really fast education on who everybody was and what they did wrong. And basically how I can go after their Achilles. Um, you know what? And, and I just was so grossed out and appalled and horrified by what had happened culturally. You know, I just reading these, these really, really nasty, mean blogs and these photos that were attached of somebody who had a little bit of like back fat hanging out at at the beach or something like that. I'm just like, good Christ that I decided to just do one. Like I just decided to skewer kind of somebody who might be somebody who would write those things, you know? So you're saying you were woke then. <laughs> um, I, I was, I definitely had a conscience, conscience, but I remember Steve Higgins was a producer and I remember him saying to me one night, and it was a little shamey because uh, I was writing this one sketch and I was sort of running uh, an idea by him. And he just said, I don't know what's going on with young comedians right now, but when are you guys going to realize? I was like, he called me young. Um, no, but he was like, <laughs> I, he was like, when are you going to, when are you guys going to realize that these are just people? Everybody is just so mean. Everyone is really just going after them. And, and, and I remember thinking, but, but they're so wealthy and their lives are so sparkly and they look so good and they have so much money and, and access. And if they wanted to, hide away in a mansion in Malibu, they can just do that because they're stars and they, and they, to some degree, chose a life where they're being hounded by paparazzi and uh, the pressures of looking good all the time. I wish somebody pressured me to look good all the time. You know, I think that was sort of roiling around in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And, and then with the advent of the internet, you have all these people who suddenly have access to celebrity in the sense that not that they can just go to their house, but the way um, in, in, in one of those reference articles um, that I was reading about uh, the guy Suarez or something, is that his name? Who uh, paparazzi guy who wrote a book about it, right? Matthew Suarez. And, um, and he talks about how paparazzi became obsolete because then social media, people could post their own photos. And and that was the thing. It's like we needed the paparazzi because we couldn't get to them. We couldn't get to the celebrities. And, and so when the internet happens, now you've got blogs. Now you've got nasty people who can, if somebody ever Googled themselves, Jennifer Aniston is going to see that somebody said that she looked puffy, you know, on Saturday at Felicio's restaurant or whatever. And I made up that name. That's really good. Okay. Puffy at Felicio's. <laughs> that's great. Love it. <laughs> Sounds like an appetizer. And and that's how you get, that's how you get to them. That's how you can have direct access to celebrities is to, is to be terrible to them. I'm going to say one more thing on the, on this topic right here about, about what was going on and sort of the SNL thing, if I may, but I'm sorry, I don't want to be a Mike hog here, but I, I, (laughs) I think about this all the time, which is before I got SNL, 
there's, do you remember the soup, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And the soup was like so cheaply made because it, you know, reality shows were just starting, which I think is also a big thing, which was happening uh, that changed the, 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 the culture. And when the soup happened, they would kind of send up people on reality shows and be like, look at this dipshit, right? And it was so cheap to make because all you needed was clips from other shows and then one guy popping off about how pathetic everybody is, right? So then everybody realized, oh, VH1 can make a million of these shows. And Mm -hmm. so they went, instead of hiring writers, really, you know, they went to comedians and they said, this is a clip show where we just talk about celebrities in the news. And they would just, you know, scrounge for any kind of possible news. I'm putting it in quotes because nobody really did anything. But as comedians, you can find a turn or joke about anybody at any point. That's how we grew up, right? So, I mean, Aaron, you would just crushed this one. <laughs> Dude, I wrote for Best Week Ever. The, okay, the, when okay, it got okay. revived, that was my first uh, TV writing job was Best Week Ever, <laughs> which I is a show. Yeah, which is a show where we would have comedians. Michael Che was in our cast. Michael Che, Adam Conover, Amanda Seals, uh, Michelle Buteau. The cast was huh. like stacked with really awesome people. Um, but I was on the like the generation after the generation you were on it. Uh, okay, it was, so yeah. that, that was like where you would talk about anybody who was having any kind of a meltdown or a breakdown or, or showing any visible signs of vulnerability and you would just descend on them and we would get paid and that's how you would get on TV when you were in the groundlings you know, trying to get any kind of job in the business. And so I remember even then I was like, good God, I need a shower. And because you wanted to make it funny, you were participating because you were like, well, that's just mean. Now it has to be funny too. And so now you're rewriting really mean, awful jokes. And I remember that I just was like, this is, this is just purely evil and Mm -hmm. I'm selling my soul. And and I cut, you know, fast forward to that day on, on SNL when Steve Higgins says, Why, when are you going to realize that they're just people? I just was like, yeah, man, I, I guess I talked myself out of it because I needed that job, <laughs> that they were just people. And, but I knew it. I knew this was wrong. I always knew this was wrong. Yeah. We did this thing when I was, do, when I was on uh, Best Week. I just did one season in like 2013 in the revival, like short-lived revival of the show. And uh, that was like before we'd learned our lesson about like how to treat celebrity quote unquote breakdowns, which were really just like mental health emergencies. Um, But they became entertainment during that time because culture was very fucked up. Um, And I realized this was only eight years ago, but it is crazy to think how far we've come because this would not have been a thing anymore. But uh, there was this thing when Amanda Bynes was having um, mental health problems very, very publicly, it was kind of viewed, like kind of treated gleefully um, by people who worked in and around pop culture. And there was a segment on the show where the comedians who came in to deliver like quips were supposed to just kind of like riff on the fact that she was walking around Times Square clearly not well. And like, I like, look, I'm not going to, I I, wasn't my idea, but I participated and like, man, that fucking sucks. I I don't know what, Francesca, what do you think happened between then and now that has made us so that like, 
I mean, I know that it's like we all got eight years older. We all matured ostensibly. But like culturally, what do you think has happened between then and now that has made it so that would not be an acceptable thing to descend on? Oh, I mean, I do think that the point about social media is really interesting in terms of as horrifying as Instagram is, the ability to like control your own narrative and your own images. And like, you can't get better than someone like doing a selfie or like being in bed. And it's like, oh, that's intimate. No paparazzi is necessarily going to get that. And this is the person writing their own caption, talking about their own lives. Like that is far better than, you know, someone stalking them. So there's that. I also think we just got smarter around mental health and 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 really understanding that it is not something to joke about. And I also think we realize that we all have one common enemy and that is billionaires and that we should absolutely do what we did to Britney Spears and Amanda Bynes and all and all the other young pop stars to Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and that's the only thing that's acceptable cuz no they are not people. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I think, no, but seriously though, it's funny cause it's like, you think about, you think about the ways that we justified it. Like, oh, well, you know, they've got tons of money. It's like, yeah, but they don't got Bezos money. You know, like, <laughs> oh, they can take it. Well, no, no. So they do you don't think, deserve it like Zuckerberg with the so Cambridge and Oxford uh, Greywater. <laughs> so you think that Perez Hilton could possibly redeem himself by starting a new website where he puts up pictures of billionaires and draws uh, like Microsoft Paint squiggles of semen on and around their faces? Yes. Yeah. And okay. circles are fat. Circle okay. Are, yeah. And circle his fat. I mean, that's the other thing. Uh, <laughs> Um, and, and I think celebrities kind of owning, I mean, you see like Demi Lovato, like owning her own body. Like she's like, look, here's the Photoshop version of this swimsuit photo and here's the not Photoshop. I'm embracing my cell cellulite. I mean, Lizzo's doing that every day. Like it's just so different. We're in, And so the narrative is not controlled. I think thanks to social media and also it's social media makes bullying far easier, but at least it is almost democratized and you know like in terms of comment culture is a little more democratized mm -hmm. um, I also think Brittany fell you know she fell victim to the whole Madonna horror mindset uh, that we have you know she was in the Mickey Mouse Club and they were just had to have such a squeaky clean persona and then she you know, talked about her virginity when behind the scenes, you know, she and, and Timberlake were all, all over each other. Like, and good for um, them. They were young and, and good beautiful for them. and in love. Good for exactly. them. Exactly. But it they had to hide. They had to, oh, I'm sure. And they had to hide it. And so when her fall from Mickey Mouse, uh, um, you know, just purity happened. It was a way for people to be like, ha, see, nobody's, nobody's that good. You're just, you're just trash. You're just total, total trash. And there was this schadenfreude, I think from yes. so many that were like, good, see, I can write you off that you're, you're not better than me. You're not more pure than me. And it's just like, the the problem that we do in this country is where we put people on these, you know, pedestals that nobody should ever even be on in the first place. And I think we've moved past that finally, too. Yeah. And I think young pop culture, young pop stars, sorry, young women who are pop stars and starlets are like very much now famous for not either being in one category or the other, but kind of being their own thing. 
you know, Billie Eilish, her own thing. Uh, it's cool. Like, it's different. And that's what is cool and in. And so there's a larger, I think, young feminist resistance to, yeah, being being put in either camp. I just want to say really quickly before we move on that I do think the most interesting thing to me about all this Britney stuff is that it also speaks to her desire, and she says it over and over again, to just be a normal person. She actually, like, she didn't, and she never really wanted to be a pop star. <laughs> she was good at it. And yes, yeah, she was sort of tracked into the Disney, you know, thing. But like, she just wants to have a baby and have her boyfriend drive her around in her car, right? And the fact that, and get married, and the fact that she can't even do those basic things, can't take out her IUD, can't probably, she says she says twice, I want my boyfriend to drive me around in his car, probably because that's like part of the stipulation in her conservatorship that she can't even have ownership over who she leaves with and when. And she just kind of wants to, like, yeah, she doesn't want to have to tour all the time. Um... And I think that's incredibly powerful that we also don't give pop stars the ability to stop, like to not do what they keep uh, doing. The last thing I'll say, okay, I said the last thing was the last thing. The last thing I'll say is what's so devastating about her testimony also is where she talks about not knowing and she apologizes to the judge. I'm sorry. I didn't know I could ask for the conservatorship to end. And there, you know, and that's so evil when it comes to conservatorships. And, and the fact that no one around her, her lawyers, her managers, her family, nobody told her, you can end this. You could appeal. You could petition to stop this. And she, to the point where after 13 years, she feels guilty because she see, she feels like she should have done this earlier and she feels bad because she actually didn't know that she could ask for it to stop. Mm-hmm. And how about the fact that, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was going to say, Alyssa, no, no, go ahead. But I was going to follow by saying, uh, I want, I want to hear what your thoughts are about the coercive uh, reproductive healthcare that she's receiving in addition. Mm-hmm. Well, when you think about, so first, I mean, what the fuck? Like, can you imagine? I mean, it's, and the fact that like, we're all sitting here and we know that if anyone tried to tell us that, that we'd be like, you can fuck all the way off (laughs) and that she couldn't and that she didn't um, because of this prison she was essentially living in. And the other point that I wanted to make is that it's not like the world fucking got with God and was like, is Britney okay? It was a grassroots movement of a couple people who mm-hmm. then started a podcast and these who were outside the court and who made the story. The New York Times would never have done the documentary if these people had not brought so much passion God and fervor people. to the Free Britney movement. And so it's 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 also a testament. I mean- yeah, Francesca, shout out I think to they Babs could Gray. do this. Shout yeah. out to Babs Gray and Tessa Barker and all these amazing, I think that's her name. Tell me, Tessa. Um, but yeah, the, and the Britney Spears podcast, which was like a joke. They were just like, hey, Tess Barker is her name. Sorry, Tess. They were like, hey, Britney's Instagram seems a little weird, huh? And <laughs> let's just do a comedy podcast that's the best part about it is they were like you know because a lot of folks are like well why you guys are so self-serious and they were like we never intended for this to be a self-serious podcast we just love Britney and thought that her Instagram was weird let's talk about it then they got that anonymous call etc 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 yeah but yes 
It's a it's a crazy interesting story. And then real quick before we have to take a break, I wanted to talk about the fact that she has an IUD. She wants to take it out and she wants to try to have a baby and they won't let her. Um, unbelievably fucked up. Uh, that was the part that like made me feel chills. Like totally. she is clearly somebody who is with it enough to speak cogently at length to a judge and should be able to have a child if she wants. Like, oh my God. If they And yeah, they know they're running the clock out on her. She's 39 years old. You know, mm-hmm. this is or 40. She's 39, I think. But they know what they're like. That's the part that's so malevolent and malicious about what they're doing is yeah. that they know she wants to do this. And by doing this, they are literally robbing her of her dream. Yeah, well, I'm just glad that Jamie Spears' name is Mud forever and uh, that all the people involved in this are just kind of, they look like trash and everybody's on Britney's side. So that is one positive outcome from this. It's a reflection of the fact that our culture has changed enough to accept Britney Spears as a person that deserves freedom and privacy. Um, Okay, let's take a quick break, but when we come back, I feel petty. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. And welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but we're not quite there yet. This is the part where we take really strong stances on things that don't really matter. It's, I feel petty. Um, Alyssa, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, So first, my I feel petty is related to the podcast today because everyone here has turned their schedules upside down to accommodate me because I'm getting a colonoscopy and I have to cleanse. And here's my thing. How, with all of the fucking accomplishments in this world, the technology, this morning I saw they have planes that can turn into cars and fly in Slovakia. Why... Why can't the cleanse taste better? Why oh, does my Alyssa, I have I have horrible news for you. What? Did, who's your doctor? Do you know there's pills now? Okay, no, no, I don't know that there are pills, but I know that I got to drink this yeah. shit, and the instructions come with sucking on a lemon. Yeah, oh my no, God. they have a pill now that you can take. <laughs> Oh my okay. God. Well, that's terrific. Uh, that's too late for me now. And this is my <laughs> second one. So one, if you're supposed to get a colonoscopy, the worst part of it is just drinking this stuff, which is like, I'm being an asshole. It's like not that that bad. It's just kind of bad. But um, I really feel like there there could be some advancements. How does this, it taste? Uh, in this, uh, like salty mangoes. That doesn't oh. sound terrible. That sounds pretty good. Okay, actually. look, yeah. it's better. It's better than when I did it five years ago. But still, how does it not just taste like fucking Gatorade at this point? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's medical that feels very archaic. It's like, why are we doing it like this? Like every time they take blood from me, I'm like, 
do you need every drop of that blood? You know that I hate this, right? Like (laughs) I can get, you can take, you could probably make do with less. This fucking sucks. Figure it out. And Elizabeth Holmes set us all back because she did. Oh God. All us needle phobes. Really. If I ever see Elizabeth Holmes, I'm going to really give her a piece of my mind. Yeah. And all us like, like, like low voice females too i feel very attacked that she like (laughs) trying to imitate us i think the next tech disruptor that's going to work in like biotech needs to focus for Alyssa's sake on making the pre-colonoscopy shake taste better or make the pills more readily available i think that's probably what we need to do you know my doctor just got an email michaela I mean, because Fred just, my husband just did, went through this and he's like, yeah, I did the pills. And I was like, does they, really? He's like, yeah. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> well, I have a, I have a kind of, I feel petty too. I'll go next. I feel terrible, is- Alyssa. I just upended your <laughs> all. I want you, I'll, I'll, I'm sure you can find something else to be very upset about. <laughs> well, she still has to drink it this time. Yeah, dude, so. it's still the rest of my 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Your doctor withheld. It's it's all right. We'll we'll start a colonoscopy specific group chat. Um, okay, so <laughs> my my I feel petty is also medical related this week. Um, I recently went in for an ultrasound for uh, my 20 week scan. And uh, that shit is fascinating, by the Mm. way. Like it is the technology, speaking of like the opposite end of technology, what they can do with ultrasounds in like looking at like fetal development is crazy. Like it is, they can like measure the size (laughs) of the chambers of the heart. They can do all this like cool shit. So I just, here's my thing. If you can't you improve go- the taste of her colonoscopy. No, medicine. no. <laughs> if, if you're go- if you're going to go into neo- neonatology, so if you're going to be a doctor that specializes in reading scans of fetuses and diagnosing health problems on those scans, you should fucking like talking to women. Like that's part of it. <laughs> part of being that kind of a doctor is you need to be able to slow down and explain what you're doing to the Mm-mm. person who I waited. just like the babies. Yeah, I it's- just like looking at babies. <laughs> Only babies. Shut up, lady. Just mm-hmm. so I went. I like in, their I, little faces, and their little yeah, hands. The, who are little, you? Little feet. Shut Sorry, up, I'm, lady. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming who this person was. Yeah, you're pretty. You're you're not incorrect. He was very. He was gruff, and he worked at a. You know, he he came in and he was like doing the scan, and I was like, he was like, just so you know, like I'm gonna be kind of quiet during the scan. Uh, I just like to get through it and I can answer any questions at the end. And I was like, all right. There was a couple points where I was like, what is? What are you doing? And he's like, I'm kind of in the zone right now. I just need to get through this. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then just, at the end. Sh- 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 yeah. Quiet, mom. I know. You're and really it, ruining this for me. You're <laughs> really ruining this moment. Well, and then at the end, he's like, yeah, everything seems normal. Normal head, normal heart. Those are the things that usually go wrong. All right. And then he like starts le- leaving the room and he goes, oh, did you have any more questions? He was like rushing me. And it's like, dude, look, I know that you get overscheduled. That's what hospital systems do to doctors so that they can charge the most possible people for insurance. But like... Dude, I waited an hour for this 10-minute scan, which is the only the second time I've seen my baby. So mm-hmm. like fucking sit down and explain what's happening. Like what was what were you doing changing the colors on the blood flow? What was that doing? Like how how big is it? Uh what what kind of develop 
fundamental things are happening. What is happening to me? What, you know, and it was just yeah. like, dude, if you're going to go into this field, you should probably be better at like taking some fucking time to answer Bedside people's questions. Yeah. It was like, Aaron, good God. The, the next time you go in, you should only speak to him in like top gun movie quotes. <laughs> mm, yeah. Just uh, see, because if he's in the zone, maybe he'll, you know, he'll yeah. understand if you're like writing checks, your body can't cash. I mean, maybe that'll get <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Um, Francesca, do you want to go next? What are you feeling petty about this week? Uh, I've had a tweet brewing that I've been wanting to fire off and I don't want, I just want to explain it before I do, which is <laughs> I am jealous of conservative women uh, because of their arms. And my tweet is, I want reactionary arms. Um, <laughs> you mean like their physical, like, like yes. arms, not their guns. I, no, yeah, not their weaponry. I don't want their weapons, but I want, and maybe it's only the the yeah, the actual guns you can get from holding guns. But why does like Janine <laughs> Pirro and Laura Ingram and like Lara Trump? Why do they have like crazy cut, you know, arms? How are they getting this these arms? Who's their like QAnon trainer person? I don't know. Like, are they? Is it an, a surgery they're having? They all have like the nice shoulders and the little divot. I can't get that divot, and I'm like, mm. Mm, I fucking hate your views, but I want your arms. It's, it's what they. It's it's how you get arms like that from holding up the patriarchy. <laughs> it's it's you have to hold the patriarchy up and just that small movements, small movements, and a lot of them. Uh, Michaela, do you want to bring us home? Sure. Um, <clears throat> guys, this is a happy story and a sad story. So, um, you know, okay, I, I recently had to uh, leave to go out of town for work and I had to leave my, my husband for a while. And um, none of our problems have ever come from being together, which is amazing. Like during the pandemic, I, I was like, I married the right guy. Our problems only arise uh, when we're apart. And um, that's because, well, more specifically, if I leave and he stays home. And here's why. If I take a day to reorganize a kitchen uh, or office drawer or something of that nature, um, it's not because I like organization. I mean, I do to some degree, but it's, it's because... If I don't, my my scattered loose meat sandwich brain just can't keep track of anything. So it's it's really a need, and I need a drawer to be organized for a very long time. Like when I take the time to do it, this needs to hold for three to possibly five years, maybe ten years. You know, <laughs> oh, that that's Lord. what needs to happen. That's why I do it. I do it because we are we. It's like a remodel of of my, of my brain. And, and it's going into a drawer. And, and it needs to last. Not, it doesn't need to last two weeks. Like two weeks is not, you know, if I open a drawer in my kitchen and I come home and it looks like a fucking, you know, toilet at a Sigma Chi frat party. <laughs> you know, I am thinking of a very specific toilet at a frat party that oh, I went God. to visit somebody at UMass Amherst, um, then yeah, I, I, then I feel under attack. You know, I feel personally assaulted in my house <laughs> because this is not like, it's not like, oh, I, I just love organization. I love to put things in little compartments. It's like, no, this is a real 
genuine ADHD need where I need stuff to make sense. I need to know that when I need scissors, they're going to fucking be there, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And every time I leave home, I come back and it's just like disarray land. And, 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 and that's, that sounds so petty because that's what we're, this, this is, I feel petty. I get it, but it's not just, I like, I'm not Monica from friends. I don't just like order. I, I, absolutely need it to function in our, <laughs> in our society. And I feel so accosted that somebody just thinks, oh, I'll start putting dish rags, you know, where the pens are. Yeah. No. I mean, I think, I think that that is, uh, one of the quickest ways to feel crazy is to be sharing space with someone who moves things Oof. like, who moves, like you put something somewhere and then you come back and it's been put away, but you don't know where because the person, the other person has moved it. Um, yeah, that's a, that's, I think a cousin of but the But that's the thing. It's, it's not for fun. It's not like, mm, there she goes. She's the <laughs> little, little, little mouse organizing our kitchen. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time to then look do for you the... get asked where everything is? That's the yes, best part. Yes, that is when... exactly mm-hmm. what happens, Francesca, yeah, like, 100%. Your eyes. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah. Do we have any X thing that, I on, that I'm the only one who eats? I don't know. Why would I know that? Why would that be? <laughs> You're the only one who buys it. You're the only one who eats it. You're the only one who ever touches it. Why mm-hmm. would I have access to that information? Mm-hmm. Oh man, we could do a whole <laughs> series of bits around men needing to find things and moving things around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that's a that's a very petty but very fair point, Michaela. Yeah. And uh, that's all the time we have for the show today. Thank you, Michaela and Francesca, for joining for our Brittany convo. That was great. Thank you to Alyssa for being my ride or die, and thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.